If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Galatians. We're continuing our series in Galatians called Centered. If you don't have one but would like to follow along, there should be some close to you. There are some under the chairs, and you could grab a Bible there, and we'll be on page 973, 973 in those black Bibles. Uh, in our Centered series, we've been asking the question, what is our life centered on? What is uh, the thing that directs us, empowers us, moves us? Uh, What is that? What drives us in life? I want to just publicly thank Jamar for sharing with us from God's Word. Last week he did a great job and uh, there's been a lot of positive feedback to that, Uh, a lot of questions. I think a lot of people just have kind of this sense of, yeah, that's what we want. We want a welcoming church. That's the kind of community we want to be. So what's next? What do we do? Um, And I would just just encourage you to pray for us and ask questions and, and help us become that kind of church. As we say a lot of times, before the service starts, we're called to be the church. Um, that's our job. That's not, that's not the central office's job. That's your job if you're a believer in Christ, right? So you are the church, so help us be more welcoming and uh, just talk to us. Help, us. help us learn along the way if you have ideas of things we could do better. Um, so last week there was this uh, conflict between Peter and Paul because Peter was not demonstrating acceptance to other people. He was considering Gentiles to be unclean. And what Paul said was that was not in line with the gospel. And so last week we had a scenario, we had a conflict uh, that was fleshed out. It showed how we can uh, treat others as if they are different before God instead of treating them based on how God sees them in the gospel. And then this week we're going to get in kind of more detail that gospel fleshed out, this justification by faith. We're not justified by our birth or by our skin color or by where we grew up. We're justified by faith in Christ. So uh, the title this morning is The Centrality of Faith. So two terms we're going to deal with a lot today are faith, which is just to trust, to believe, to trust, to rest in what Jesus has done. And then there will be a term that comes up, justified, justification. Um, The the root of that is just, right? So that's being shown to be just or being declared to be just. In the New Testament, whenever you see the word righteous, it's the same Greek word. It's the same root. So justice, justification, righteous, righteousness, those are the same. And so we are declared righteous in Christ. Because of what Christ has done, God sees us supernaturally as righteous by faith in him. Now, sometimes we use the word in a slightly different way in our language, and even back in Greek they used it this way, and that was to be proven or shown to be righteous before men. And that's more the way James would use it in the book of James. And so uh, on a first reading, if you, if you really don't know the Bible very well, you might read and think that James conflicts with Galatians. Um, but really they're saying the same thing about Jesus They're just using the word in slightly different ways in the same way we do today. So we might say justified to mean um, I'm proven in front of somebody, or we might use the word justified in the theological sense of God sees me supernaturally as just and righteous because of Christ, not because of me. So just to kind of lay that out, we'll get into it in more details. But let me read the text, uh, and then we'll unpack it. So we're in verses 15 through 21, the centrality of faith here. Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ 
and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let me pray and we'll ask God to teach us this morning. God, we ask for your help. Um, We come in here, God, with a lot of different assumptions. And so I pray that you would speak to us. Some of us uh, believe that we can be justified by what we've done. And God, I pray that you would help us to see how deep our sin problem goes and our need for an alien righteousness from you. Um, Some of us, Lord, believe that that we don't need you at all, but we can find uh, okayness and justification and completion and just enjoying life and pleasure and temporary highs. Um, God, I, I just pray that no matter where we are coming from this morning, that you would Uh, speak to us, that you would open our eyes uh, to see who you are, to hear what you have to say, to be challenged by the good news of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, picture with me, if you will, a a three-year-old running through the halls of the White House. The White House is very heavily guarded. There's secret servicemen everywhere. There's people with guns. There's big, important uh, people with suits on. There's ambassadors. There's Uh, heads of state, and just imagine this three-year-old just running by all these people, ignoring all of these important, big, imposing figures, and busting in to the Oval Office, and then jumping in to the arms of the president. Things like that happened when John F. Kennedy was president, because he had a young John John there in the White House with him. Uh, President Obama's kids were almost that young when he came into office. They were a little older. But But just think about that, a child jumping into the arms of the most important man in the world. And no armed guard stopped him and said, how dare you, who do you think you are? Because he had a familial connection to the most important man in the world. And so what we see in the gospel is that we have complete access to not the most important leader in in our world, but the king of the universe, We can just run into his presence. We can approach the throne of grace with boldness, as we're told in Hebrews, because of the grace that's been shown to us in Christ. In ourselves, in our sin, we're all rebels running the other way. But in the kindness that's been shown to us through Christ, our hearts are changed. We trust in Christ's righteousness, and we're seen just as righteous as Christ himself. By faith... We're we're in Christ, is what Paul tells us at the end of this section. And so we have access to God. That's why uh, what was happening in last week's passage is so important, because when we treat each other as if we are not allowed to have access based on external things, we're speaking a different message than what the gospel says. The gospel says we have access based on Christ and Christ alone not based on the externals, not based on what we look like or where we come from. The issue 
is Christ. And so this is what the text is going to hammer home. And I've shared with you the quote before from Martin Luther where he said this idea of justification freely by God's grace through faith is is a principal doctrine that we must believe and, and he says we must beat into each other's heads continually. We have to keep hammering this home because we slip away from it. Uh, another pastor friend I had said it's, it's too good to not be true. We have to continue coming back to it and refreshing our minds with the beauty of this gospel, this good news that God loves us through Christ. The, the first thing that we see in verses 15 and 16 is that this is justification by faith and not by works. He contrasts it with justification by works. Right, So what Paul is saying is you're not justified by what you've done or by law-keeping. You're justified. You're made righteous. You're declared okay, acceptable to God, loved by God, delighted in by God. All of that takes place because of trusting in what Jesus did for you, not by what you've done for yourself. Look at verse 15 and 16. Paul highlights this um, by speaking in a hyperbole and in an exaggeration here. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Okay, so he just he had just corrected Peter for that kind of thinking, so he's not really agreeing with that. He's just saying, okay, let me grant the argument that, that I'm a Jew and I have superior status to other races. Paul's just saying, let's just run with that argument for a little while. He says, it's still not enough because we're all sinners. So look at verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul's saying no one can get there. No one's that perfect. Even if you were born into the religious family that honored the religious rules, you still can't keep them all. Francis Schaeffer used to say this. He would say, just imagine that you have an invisible tape recorder that you wear around your neck every day of your life. And and imagine that that tape recorder only records the things that you told other people they should do. Not even the laws you've imposed on yourself, but just the laws you've imposed on other people, and then you're judged by that. God judges you by that. Would you pass? The, the real staunch Pharisees in here are thinking, yeah, I'd be fine. Well, no, you would not pass, okay? What Paul is saying is no one is righteous. No, not one, as he says, quoting the Psalms in Romans. We can't fulfill the law perfectly. No one's justified by our works, by what we do, by what we accomplish. We're forced to trust in what Christ has accomplished for us. I, I want to give you a little uh, chart here to, to help you understand this. There's kind of three understandings of how faith and works go together. In this text, Paul is contrasting faith with works, right? We know if if you've read your Bible much, you know in James, James seems to put those two together. So how do we sort that out? A seeming conflict between two different passages of Scripture. I would say, first of all, that there's a principle of biblical interpretation that says uh, when you have uh, one text that seems to disagree with a hundred texts, then you would want to interpret in light of the hundred other texts. And, and question your first reading of that text. So when we read James, James says, you're not justified by faith alone. He just straight up says it in chapter 2. So what do we do with that? Well, as I said earlier, even in our culture, even in English, we use the word justified in two different ways. We use the word justified in two different ways. So I'll, I'll give you a chart here that tries to kind of sort it out 
Um, these are three different ways to think through how faith and works work together with salvation. Okay, first is faith leads to salvation and works. That's what Paul is arguing here. Uh, in the whole book of Galatians, Paul hasn't really get, gotten into the works that result from our salvation yet, but he's going to hit that harder as we move through the book. Paul is saying that faith alone leads to salvation, and then works come later. But it's faith alone. So he's emphasizing the faith leading to the salvation, and, and then works comes later. And then there's this other view, faith plus works leads to salvation. That's what Paul is fighting. That's what the Judaizers are believing. And then this last view, faith alone leads to salvation without any works. doesn't matter what you do. And that's what James is fighting. So I, I've tried to make it clear here. The top one is the right one, okay? Faith leads to salvation and works. You, you will change. You won't be perfect, but you will change. Fruit will be grown in your life. That's how Paul says it in Galatians 5. The spirit in your life bears fruit. You'll start to love what is good. You'll start to be transformed. You're not going to be perfect, that we're still sinners, but things will happen in our lives as a result of following Christ. So faith leads to salvation plus works, but it starts with faith. The second one, faith plus works leads to salvation. Galatians is written to oppose that view. Galatians is written to oppose that view. Many uh, so-called Christians would preach that idea, and I would say, well, they're biblically wrong. Galatians is written exactly to oppose that view. It's not faith plus works that leads to our salvation. It's faith. In Christ, what he's done, his works, and that leads to our salvation, our security, justification, as it said here, and transformation, and change, and newness in our life. And the last one, faith leads to salvation without any works. That's another uh, problem that's preached a lot of times in America. People kind of run so hard against works, they want to protect grace, and they say, uh, just believe in Jesus, just mental assent. Sometimes we call this uh, easy believism, right? If you just made a decision, that's all that matters. doesn't matter if you're not really trusting in Christ and there's no change in your life. Just say this prayer. Just make a decision. Just think this idea and everything's going to be okay. Well, well, no, you, you actually, your heart actually has to trust in Christ. And if that actually happens, you'll begin to change. Again, you won't be perfect. Those of you with a, with a guilty conscience, those of you that are sensitive or sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not really saved because I'm not as good as the guy next to me. You know, slow down, right? It, it's, it's healthy to question, do you really trust Jesus? Uh, if there's no change in your life at all, that's a healthy thing to question. Those of you with really sensitive consciences, you're, you're probably beating yourself up because you're just not perfect yet, right? Well, none of us are, so you need to be reminded that we're saved not by what we do, but why, by what Jesus does. So James opposes that faith leads to a salvation with no works whatsoever. No reference to works. And Galatians opposes the idea that faith plus works is what saves us. So the Bible says it's faith alone. It's trusting in Christ. It's Christ. It's what he's done. I'm trusting in him. I'm not trusting in myself. And that leads to eternal life. And that leads to a change here and now. I begin to grow. I begin, as he says in Galatians 5, I begin to bear fruit. Um, just to kind of help you out as you read James, if you're going to study this week, and I can give you more notes on this later, but uh, Paul actually, in a couple of places, uses the word justification in that uh, proven before men sort of sense. In First Corinthians or First Timothy 3:16 and in Romans 3:4, two places where he seems to use it in that sense of proven just before the eyes of men, and that's how James is using it. But in the rest of Paul, it's always the sense of uh, declared just, supernaturally declared righteous in the eyes of God. 
So that if you're trusting in Christ, when God looks at you, He sees you as beautiful, as righteous, as brave, as holy as His very own Son. You're His. You're adopted into His presence. You belong to Him. You can have full assurance of that grace. So my question for us is, what is the thing that you might be trusting in other than the work of Christ? The way it's described in this passage is works. What works are you trusting in? In this context, Peter was wavering on trusting in his Jewishness. Are you trusting in the way you were raised? Are you trusting in uh, where you were born, where you were brought up? Or maybe you're trusting in what you've accomplished. And you think, I've done these things and so God owes me. Maybe you're trusting in your own perseverance, your, your suffering, the struggle, your victimhood. Maybe you're trusting in uh, your children's happiness and what you've accomplished with your kids. Maybe you're trusting in relationships. What are the works? What are the accomplishments that you might be trusting in besides Christ? So you're saying it's, we're justified by faith, by trusting in Christ, not by works, not by what we've done. We're trusting in what Christ has done. That's what it means to be justified by faith. Romans 3 is a great parallel passage to Galatians. Romans 3 articulates a lot of the same theology, a lot of the same stuff that Paul's saying here. He goes into more detail. And in uh, Romans 3.27, Paul uses the phrase boasting. He says, where then is boasting? If this is really true, if we're just trusting in Christ, then what happens to our boasting? And his answer is, it's excluded. You can't boast. If you're trusting in Christ, you can't boast. He says the same sort of thing in Ephesians 2. He says, you, you can't boast. In, in Romans 3.27, he says, what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Law of works? No, the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So another way to think of my question earlier is, is what do you boast in? What are you most proud of, the scripture says we should only boast in the Lord. So, so when we sing songs of praise to God, that, that's actually boasting in Him, right? We're, we're praising Him instead of praising ourselves. But when we think that our acceptance before God or even our acceptance before other people is, is based on some accomplishment, something we've done, something we are, th- then we're boasting in that. And, and Paul says we should exclude that boasting and we should only boast in the Lord. We should, we should trust in what He has done for us. The next thing we see is that justification by faith is for sinners. Justification by faith is, is for sinners. Uh, and this can be confusing. Um, he says in verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Um, the way he talks about this in uh, Romans 3.20, again, the parallel in Romans 3 is he says, no one's justified through the law because through the law comes knowledge of sin. So, so Paul is saying that, so does that mean Christ serves sin if, if on this path of discovery we find, oh my, I'm a sinner. There's something wrong with me. Before I thought I was a good Jew and that that was enough and I was just born into goodness and I was okay because I was the right tribe. Now all of a sudden I recognize I'm a sinner. Paul says in, in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's our universal problem. That's actually what allows us to have diversity as people from different backgrounds and tribes is that we recognize we're all the same. We're all sinners and our only hope is Jesus. 
So we're all alike fallen from glory, sinners. We don't measure up. We don't love as we should. We don't do what we should. And so Paul says, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Certainly not. He says in verse 18, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Second verse is a little more confusing. And when you read commentators, they all kind of disagree on what he means by if I rebuild what I tore down. But it's pretty clear what he means in the second part, right? He says, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So, so we, we have some clarity there. I prove myself to be a transgressor. He's already said in verse 17, we, dis, we discover our sin in this process of waking up to justification, not in ourselves, but a justification that's alien and alien righteousness and outside of us righteousness. It comes from the outside, comes from Christ. So we're justified by trusting in him, not trusting in ourselves. And in that process, we realize, oh no, I'm a sinner. You, you can't find that justification unless you realize you're a sinner. So that's the clarity of these two verses. You have to recognize you're a sinner if you want to be justified. So, so if you don't believe in sin at all, God says you, you can't be justified before him. If we say we have no sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. So in 1 John there, he's saying there's basically two kinds of people. There's people that admit they have a problem, and there's people that say, no, I'm just fine. No, I'm just fine. The odd thing is both, uh, both liberals and conservatives do that, right? Uh, both uh, religious people and rebellious people do that. It's just two different forms of saying I don't have sin. One form is saying I've got sin beat. The other form is saying I don't even believe in the concept of sin, right? There, there's this other kind of person, though, that says, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. That doesn't make Christ a servant of sin. That makes Christ a savior that saves us from that sin. And that's what Paul's point is here. I have an illustration of this, uh, just kind of jumping off what Paul is saying about the law and finding justification in Christ. And then what he says in the parallel in Romans 3, um, I have a picture of an x-ray here. This is an x-ray of an arm. We've got a broken radius, I think. I broke my ulna one time playing flag football. Um, and so I went to the doctor to have my arm x-rayed. It hurt. I thought it might be broken, might be a sprain. I'll go have it checked out. Uh, and, and the x-ray didn't fix me, right? The x-ray just showed that I was broken. And that's kind of how the law functions for us. The law shows us God's perfect standards of righteousness, His holiness, His, His glory that we don't measure up to. So my uh, bones regrew. I had a, a splint, right, that held it in place. There was regeneration that took place. You like that? That's a theological word. Regeneration started taking place in my bones, right? They started regrowing, and that's what fixed the break, not the x-ray. The x-ray didn't fix it. The x-ray just said, you're broken. And that's what Paul is saying here about the law. The law shows us we're broken. The law describes to us the problem, but it doesn't get us there. Christ gets us there. The goal is that we would actually be righteous, and it's only through a declared righteousness, a gift righteousness from the outside that is received by faith that we then begin to change, that we then begin to desire what is true and good and beautiful and walk in newness of life. So, so make sure you don't fall for this trick that a lot of us fall for. You, you come to accept forgiveness and righteousness from the outside by faith, and then you think, and now I'll grow 
by working really hard and, and transforming myself by my own strength. You still grow through trust, through faith. doesn't mean you don't work hard. I mean, we should work hard, but you, you work hard trusting that it's Christ's external righteousness that he's giving to you, that he's growing inside of you by, your, by his Holy Spirit and by union with him. And that brings us to the last point. Justification by faith is in Christ. So the most common uh, theological framework for this righteousness, this transformation, the salvation that we have is what's called union with Christ. The phrase is in Christ, in Christ, in Him, in Christ. If you uh, were to use like Bible software, go to an online Bible and just look up in Christ and in Him, you'll find many, many, many verses. This is the most common way of describing the salvation and the hope that we have. It's not in me, it's in Christ. It's in Him. It's what He's accomplished. His perfect righteousness. He lived the life we should have lived. And He died the death that we should have died. He's our substitute, is the way this is described sometimes. Substitutionary atonement. Christ alone. And so, look at verse 19 through 21. We have justification by faith in Christ. Verse 19 says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. So transition here from what we talked about, the law showing sin. So it showed me my problem, showed me I was dead, so that I could live to God. And here's what it looks like to live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what this verse is telling us is that to some degree we're dead, and to some degree, we're alive. There's, at some level, an I that is dead, and there's an I that lives, right? Let's look at it again. I have been crucified with Christ. He's talking about the old me, the old me that wanted to justify myself by what I accomplished, by my resume, by who I am, by what I could prove to people, by what I could do, by my own strength, by my own flesh, as Paul will say later on, the strength of my own being. And he says, that me has been crucified. That me died on the cross with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. That's that theological term. We call it union with Christ. It's central to our justification, to our righteousness, to our faith. We're, we're with him. We're in him. He's in us by his Holy Spirit. Uh, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I still live. I, I'm not obliterated. I don't cease to exist. It's just the old sinful me has died. That old relying on my own flesh has died. That relying on my passions has died. That relying on what made me feel good in the moment has died, and now I'm relying on Jesus instead. And every day I live by faith in him instead of me. The life I live in the flesh, we still walk around in this flesh. We're not there yet. We haven't been completely remade. We live day by day, every day by faith in him, trusting that it's true, trusting that I really am accepted in the presence of God because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. So this union with Christ is central. And then Paul goes on to say, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. 
So again, what he's been saying before, if you add anything to Christ alone, then you're nullifying his grace. Then you're saying he's not enough. Paul's saying, why would, why would Christ have even had to die if you could keep the law? If you could actually do it on your own, then Jesus didn't need to die on a cross. You're, you're changing the grace of God. You're nullifying the grace of God. You're, you're making it no longer grace if you add something to Christ. It's, it's just Jesus. He's our only hope. As Luther says, it's alien righteousness, or you could say external righteousness. It's a righteousness from the outside given to me. So the language is, I'm in him, he's in me. It's through our union that I'm seen as perfectly acceptable in the sight of God. I have a picture here of a crash test dummy. When I was in high school, uh, I had some friends that were in a bad car wreck, um, and, and one of them died. He was thrown out of the car, and his body couldn't survive the impact. The other three had seat belts on, and they survived. They had broken ribs, broken legs, all kinds of damage, but they survived because the car is a lot stronger than the body, right? I mean, it's not universal. I'm sure people survive getting thrown out of vehicles and people die in seat belts, but generally we know the research, the statistics show that you got a much better shot in the car than flying through the air in traffic. When you put on the seat belt, you're, you're strapped to the car. You're in the car and its strength becomes yours. You're not just relying on your bones, your skeleton. You're relying on the steel frame of this car instead. And that's just a little small, weak illustration of being in Christ. We're, we're relying on Him. We're not relying on us. So what does that look like? We, we still get up every day. We still live in the flesh. We still have a real life. We still get up and do things, but we live with transformed motives, a transformed heart, a new outlook, trusting that we're accepted by God. And only when we live in that new way can we actually love others well. Only when we live knowing that we're in Christ and we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, only when we live that way can we actually uh, love because he first loved us. That's what we're called to, and that only comes by faith, by trusting in Christ, not trusting in our flesh, not trusting in ourself. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have given us Jesus, and I pray that you would help us to trust in this incredible reality of God being for us, of Christ being our substitute, of us being found in him, not having a righteousness of our own, but having your righteousness given to us as a free gift. God, help us to trust you. Help us to live by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.